Research in Practice and Research in Practice for Adults podcast, supporting evidence-informed practice for children, adults and families. Welcome to the Research in Practice podcast. I'm here today with Danielle Turney of the University of Bristol. I'm um, excellent to have you here, Danielle. Thank you. Now we we're going to talk about the rather sort of nebulous notion of grounded professional judgment, which is a, a term that you've coined, in fact. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, of course. It came about through a piece of work I was doing with a Norwegian colleague, a social worker called Vibeka Samsonson, who was also a uh, completing a PhD at the time and spent some time in England looking at assessment practice and drawing a comparison between the processes and approaches in Norway and in England and she and I got talking about assessment practice and decided it would be interesting to write something together which we did and one of the issues that we focused on in the paper was the notion of professional judgment and trying to understand where it fitted in understanding assessment practices in our two systems. Norway's system being very different from England's uh, in that we have an assessment framework that was introduced some years back which had, as we know, the assessment triangle which we still, I think, widely use. And we have had a system that has become particularly, again, aligned with the introduction of the uh, integrated children's system, a system that has become quite proceduralised, quite formalised and quite bureaucratic. By contrast, Norway has no assessment framework and no particular structure beyond... There's some very limited guidance in their legislation about what should happen, but it's very... um, minimal and so we've got these sort of two not I mean England system could be more extreme but we've we feel like we're on a continuum but we're at different we're, we're towards different ends of a continuum and at the same time as we've had we had the Monroe report which was saying we need to move away from um, rule governed proceduralized compliance culture towards a more open-minded reflective thoughtful thinking process. Norway saying unfettered professional judgment means you get sort of random decisions here and there, there's no consistency, actually maybe we need a bit more structure. So these two things sort of came together whilst uh, she was doing her PhD and were very much the subject of our conversations. So professional judgment seemed to both of us to be a very key notion for how our different systems viewed the world um, with the system in England appearing to be trying to close down options for, for discretionary thinking but the Norwegian system perhaps putting it at the other end of the scale where professional judgment was almost unchallengeable or that was how one could characterize it that uh, professional professionals made professional judgments and that was what they drew on that was the basis on which things happened and the risk of that of course is that it becomes unchallengeable I can say well in my professional judgment this is the right thing to do how are you going to challenge that so actually trying to look at some of those um, tensions and 
we basically came to the view that neither of our systems had the answer and that probably the answer lay somewhere in the middle. But that's another conversation for another day. Um, what we did try and explore was why we'd got these very different approaches in, in our different countries and how the, the frameworks for thinking were different. And one of the ways in which we tried to uh, think that through was in terms of how do we understand the notion of child abuse and child protection and what social work's about. And, you know, the notion of tame problems and wicked problems. Obviously, tame problems being ones that, even if they're difficult to frame, are amenable to solution or to strategies for addressing them. Wicked problems being the much more diffuse ones where often there isn't a right answer or indeed an answer. And what we wondered was whether our, our different systems had actually understood child protection on the one hand almost as a tame problem in England and actually as a wicked problem in the Norwegian system. So the English response has been to try and sort of shut down the room for manoeuvre to say, here's what we need to do. If we do this, then we will be moving in the right direction. And the Norwegian system going rather more towards the other end of the spectrum, as I've said before, where they were relied much more on the judgment and professional thinking of practitioners. And I've heard that argument, certainly that, um, that, and perhaps it was even more true a few years ago, I think Monroe um, has been a really influential uh, point in, in child and family social work mm. in this country. But I've certainly heard the argument that we are applying tame solutions or mechanistic solutions to, to problems which are sometimes organic and complex rather than just complicated. You know, building a jet engine being a good example of complicated, but if you follow the blueprint and have all the parts, you will eventually build a jet engine, as opposed to a family system, which is highly complex. Um, so I've, I've certainly heard that argument. Uh, I suppose I'm curious in your highlighting, and I should say that some of our other podcasts are focused on risk and rights, and your highlighting to be that if, if in England we had taken an approach which was highly mechanistic and tame and proceduralised, and there was little room for professional judgment, you could see how people's rights might sometimes be um, undermined there. So the, the right to, to challenge your professional's um, assessment of you. If you're following a, well, we're at you know, point three of the procedure now, it has to go to conference, that can all start to feel quite oppressive. Though arguably, professional judgment that can't be challenged is equally open to abuse. And that's so important. Mm. We talk, I think, certainly in this country, Almost universally, we tend to talk about professional judgment as being, one, a good thing, and, and two, a thing we'd like more of. You know, we need to enable it and empower it. And I think I'm right in saying that the, um, the very recent consultation that came out from working together seemed to suggest that even management oversight might be less significant than we thought in terms of professional judgment. Hmm. And that's a really important way. You, 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 you could place families in situations where their rights are diluted or overlooked or undermined because professional judgment becomes incontrovertible. On what grounds can you challenge it? And I guess that's where this notion of grounded professional judgment came in because we were trying to explore what happens in that space where professional judgment takes place. I suppose it's trying to move away from a, almost like a black box, you know, where you, you feed information in here, something happens in this little bubble of professional judgment and out pops a decision. And actually uh, what we were trying to do, I think, 
was explore what happens in that black box or that bubble, whatever you want to, however you want to think about it, to say what goes on, what are some of the challenges that professional judgment might face. Um, we know a lot more now about, for example, some of the challenges of good thinking in relation to the literature on heuristics and biases. Um, we can understand that there are all sorts of pitfalls to good thinking and we can think about what supports better thinking but it's actually just trying to shed some light on the processes and what would allow us to make judgments and social work has to make judgments we try not to be judgmental but push comes to shove social work is about making decisions decisions depend on certain judgments that you've made about what's going on or what might be going on or how you might respond so professional judgment I think is absolutely central and rather than trying to organise it out of the system, which I think was what perhaps we were trying to do, or the system was trying to do previously, as you say, Munro brought the notion back in that we need to be able to think, we need to be able to re reflect, we need to be able to use people's knowledge and experience well and support them to use it better. Um, but that actually provokes a whole new set of conversations about, well, so what is it? How would we know if we were doing it? What does it look like? And how do other people have access to it? Because it's not just somebody sitting in a corner having big thinks. It's got to be accessible and scrutinisable, if that's a word, and open to challenge, transparent. So hence the idea of a grounded professional judgment rather than one that was just floating in the ether. Yes. So that's, that's where that sort of thinking came from. You've made it so, not at all nebulous. That's fantastic. I really understand what you're getting at. Yeah. So the argument we put forward is that it has two kind of key aspects to think about. And here I apologise because the language is not necessarily that comfortable. But we were talking about how people know things and what they know and, in a sense, what warrant they have for knowing it. So ideas about knowledge get put under this lovely heading of epistemology. And I have to own up to being quite fond of that, but recognise it's not on everyone's top list of things to talk about. But what we're trying to talk about here is two forms of epistemological understanding. So we call them, and this is in the literature already, but what we've tried to do is bring these notions together. Epistemic accountability and epistemic responsibility. So the notion of accountability is not new to social work. We know that there are all sorts of mechanisms in place to try and promote accountability, that we have to be accountable for what we do and how we do it and, and so on. And we can think about that in two, if you like, two dimensions. Structural accountability. So that is looking at um, ways in which we can uh, perhaps, going back to my idea about tame problems, ways of structuring things so that we reduce the amount of leeway there is for making decisions, for, dis make, for exercising discretion. Um, we use law, policy, procedural frameworks to provide a structural accountability framework. So that's one dimension of accountability. The other dimension or another dimension of accountability is what has been referred to as epistemic accountability, which is the kind of thinking that um, goes into addressing wicked problems. 
And what that's talking about is how we can effectively improve the conditions for and the quality of reasoning. And that's, in a sense, what the objective of epistemic accountability is. Okay? So how do we do that? Well, there may be ways of using, for example, formal education systems, social work education systems, to develop good reasoning skills, to support people to develop reflective skills, the sorts of thinking skills that you and I have talked about on other occasions. Um, support systems such as supervision being in place to enable people to think and reflect and be challenged in their thinking. So those are notions about um, helping people to think about and focus on what we know and how we know it. So that's a sort of epistemic element and the accountability structures that support that. Does that make sense? Yes. So that's one element. But by doing that, we need to also think about what is it that's being talked about here. The notion of epistemic responsibility is talking about how we show in our reasoning particular characteristics that are important to justify what we're saying or to provide a warrant for us coming to the view we have. And the three that have been cited as particularly relevant and I think have great application to social work are notions of coherence, good reasoning and good reasons and goodness of fit with available evidence. So if we're thinking about how those two together, their notion of epistemic accountability and epistemic responsibility come together. Which we're shorthanding is the conditions for good reasoning and sort of showing your workings out yeah. in a responsible, so, transparent yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, so grounded professional judgment in practice is about using epistemically responsible processes of critical thinking and reflection on an individual basis to show how analyses uh, meet your meet those criteria of coherence, good reasons, and goodness of fit with the available evidence. And I can understand the latter two very clearly if I, I'm putting myself in the position of a, uh, a parent or a child who's needed social work intervention. Fit with the evidence makes good sense, um, and, and good reasoning, and good reasons. What do you mean by coherence, though? Actually being able to give an account that links together things right. in a coherent way. So not leaping from uh, one strand of thought, this child's developmental outcomes are not being met, to another which may or may not be connected, like that's mm. yeah. yeah. a particular socio-economic position, mm. but having a coherent, mm. connected set of mm. thinking. Okay. And part of that is talk is being able to show what you know and why you know it and how you know it, and the flip side of that is therefore also being able to show what you don't know and where there are disconnects or things that are not yet clear. So I think it's about, again, transparency, not being afraid to say we know this but we don't know that and this is how we might go about exploring whether that is a relevant gap to fill um, and providing a framework within which that kind of thinking is allowed so good grounded professional judgment in practice has a particular need for an organisational context that will allow um, thinking that is not constrained by fear, by a need for compliance or uh, blame.
anxiety about blame. Because if you are going to say, we know this, but we don't know that, is that to. going to put you in a position where you're going to be told off? And of course that's so important, because if we, if we understand, and, and certainly I would tend to argue this, that, that practitioners are in part role modelling um, for, for those we serve, for mm. these adults and children we serve, um, being able to say, being brave enough to say, I actually don't know this. I'm not sure, I haven't got this, I think I've made a mistake, I think I don't understand this, I think I might need support in X. That is exactly what we require. I mean, our entire early health system is predicated on that, that families will be brave enough to say, I'm not okay, can I have some help, please? The very least we can do is make sure our practitioners are able to demonstrate the same kind of courage, bravery and, and resilience. And if we're making decisions that are going to have a profound impact on families' lives that actually we can, we, we have to be able to show how we've arrived at those decisions and in a sense um, be able to take some, somebody else on that journey of thinking with us because then we're open to challenge. As if as I say, okay, I've looked at, here's, here's my take on the available evidence. Here's the story that I think, and I don't mean story in a fictitious way, I mean the narrative that I think explains this situation effectively so I've got a coherent narrative here um, I think it fits with the evidence in these and these ways and these are my reasons why I'm drawing these conclusions and I've set that out for you as my supervisor or as a parent I'm working with or as another professional or as a court somebody could say actually no how did you get from there to there and when I look at that, you know, as an external person, when I look at that evidence, I've actually joined these dots and they're different from the ones you've joined. What, what sense do you make of that? And it doesn't, clearly it could become very adversarial or in uh, an organisational culture that is about learning and engaging with complexity, ideally your supervisor or a colleague will be saying, yes, but... We've had and this. that's an open. That's a conversation that you are then enabled to have. And if you actually have made a, an elite, if you like, an illegal jump in your thinking, or you've joined dots that don't belong together, somebody else saying, "Hang on a minute," devil's advocate yes. position might be the difference between a good decision and a bad decision. Yeah. And I think actually that's a responsibility we have to take on. And this kind of thinking framework allows, and again, if you've done the work, it's not just saying anything goes, and so if it's my professional judgment, it's not challengeable, but it is saying, I'm going to do the work that allows me to make the best judgment I can at this time, and here's how I got there. So that point about absolute transparency, I think, is key. Yeah, I was uh, minded as you spoke of, um, I had a conversation which you were involved in with uh, your colleague Beth Tarleton um, around working with parents who have a learning disability or difficulty. And so many of those parents not understanding what the child protection um, intervention was about or how they got there or what it involved. Hmm. And, and similarly, uh, the, the Bright Spots research that again your colleagues in Bristol have been heavily involved busy in. Busy lot. You are a busy bunch, aren't you? Um, the Bright Spots work, which is a, a really fantastic bit of research um, looking at and uh, exploring with children in care and young people in care what they think and a, uh, a really quite concerning proportion of those children saying I might be alright in care there's actually very positive messages about being in care but I don't know how I got here I don't mm. know why I'm here 
And we know from a care experienced adults, one of the, the great concerns they, they continue to raise is when I finally got my hands on my case files, that was the first time I saw how you'd made these decisions about me. So showing our workings out in real time, which I think is what you're advocating for here, it's about uh, professional values and it's a, it's a moral issue. It's not simply about professional standards. Or I think it's all of those things. And actually it's yeah a way of thinking about the work you do and the relationships you've made that allows you to think more open-mindedly more generously, but always with the idea that it could be other. Yes. I, I think we have to make decisions often in very, very difficult circumstances. Social workers don't have full evidence, don't have full information in many situations. They're making decisions in complex, painful, contested, messy situations. So I think this is a way of saying, if we can actually follow our thinking through, and it puts quite a lot of pressure back on you as an individual to say, why do I think that? What am I basing it on? And actually sometimes we have to acknowledge that we're basing our view on something pretty flimsy that will not stand up. And so we've got to be honest enough and robust enough to sometimes say, do you know that actually, to be honest, that was just not, that was a not hunch. grounded. That was a hunch. Hunches, I, I don't have a problem with hunches as a place, I've said before, you know, intuition, great place to start, probably a bad place to finish. If it starts you thinking, great. But for me, then, the question is, so what? What are you basing that on? Where is that going? What are the implications? And it's, it's hard work. And it's, it's throwing you back on your own thinking processes. And we all need a bit of space and support with that sometimes. Somebody who says, I can see where you're going with that. Have you thought about this? Yes. I don't see where you're going with that. Have you thought about that? That, that to me, <coughs> is part of, part of this framework of thinking that I, I think we were trying to present in that paper. That makes really good sense. Uh, I'm often very struck when we, we do a lot of work around supervision and reflective practice, and we draw heavily on your work, of course. <laughs> and... Um, a comment that a manager made in a session I was involved in and it stayed with me for, for many years because I think it's just absolutely pitch perfect. Mm. Um, it was a group of supervisors and team managers and they were talking about how do you elicit that sort of thinking, thinking about thinking. Um, they weren't using the term grand professional judgment. I don't think you'd quite got it out into circulation at this point. And uh, they were talking about how you can reinforce hypotheses rather than encourage testing of them. So when you say to a member of your team, why do you think that? you will get a whole list of, a litany of reasons why I'm right. So if you ask me, well, why do you think that, Des, what, what's mm. underpinning your hunch? I'll find you lots and lots of proof about why I'm right. Of course, and that's a very human response. Whereas if you ask me, just a tiny simple change in language, if you ask me, what would you need to see or hear to change your mind? All of a sudden you're placing me, not in a, 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 an oppressive way, in a, in a generous way, mm. you're placing me in a position where I have to think about my thinking. I have to contend with the idea that my mind could be changed and that that's not a bad thing, that's a thoroughly good and mm. useful thing. And I think that connects with ideas of, sort of respectful uncertainty and so on that Laming used. Curiosity is a great friend of good thinking, in my view. 
and actually encouraging people to continue to be curious both about the circumstances they encounter but also their own thinking about them. I appreciate that might sound a bit regressive and sort of self-referential and I'm not indulging, I'm not trying to suggest that social workers again are just going to sit there gazing intently at their own navels but actually trying to think you are making critical decisions sometimes life-changing certainly influential impactful decisions I think you have a key professional responsibility to make your thinking the best it can be in an uncertain and imperfect world Thank you very much. What you've really given, and this is always the case for your work, um, if I call you meta, it's a compliment. It won't sound like it, I will, let's put a look on your face, but encouraging us to think about thinking, um, reflect about reflecting, be curious about curiosity. You know, there's these sort of reflexive layers to what you're asking us to Because do. in the end you have to make a decision. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I'm, I'm most struck, and I'd like us to return to this perhaps in another interview, about the conditions you've touched on supervision and uh, learning cultures and making it safe to make mistakes, to, to challenge your thinking. Um, mm. I'd like to come back to that, please, and give it its own space for interview. That's okay. My pleasure. Thank you very much indeed, Danielle Taylor. You're welcome. enjoyed this podcast please give us a rating on apple Podcasts so that other interested people can find us let us know your thoughts on social media tweet us at research ip or at ripfer we'd love to have your feedback